Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. The Lord spoke very clear to me that He wasn't done with the word that we started last week and that he wanted to release something into the congregation at Oaks Church and teach them how to really truly be his voice in the earth. So we changed the series title to to be called Dialed In. And it's about us learning how to dial in to the voice of God in our lives. If you are his sheep, Jesus declares, you do hear his voice. But the, one of the greatest deceptions the enemy can ever work in your life is to make you feel like it's hard to hear God and you live in a wilderness, you live in a drought, and you're just waiting and begging and hoping and pleading that maybe one day you might hear him. Maybe I could one day hear him like Tiffany. Maybe one day I could hear him like Brandon. Maybe one day I could hear him like Ken. But one day, no, listen, God has made his voice so near to you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They will not follow a stranger. Simple question is this, are you his sheep or not? Do you belong to him or not? The answer is yes. Then according to the words of Jesus, who is the truth, you do hear his voice. We've got to learn how to dial in. We've got to learn how to dial in. I want to recap for just a quick moment. Uh, if you haven't listened to the podcast from last week, I would highly encourage you to do that because I don't have time to spend the 20 or 25 minutes that I did on this subject matter. But last Sunday was Rosh Hashanah. It is the Jewish New Year. It's the beginning of a new era. Uh, every Jewish a number is a letter and a word. They're all hieroglyphs. And so we talked about in the Jewish year, it's actually the year now, 5,780. It's a brand new decade. It's the 80s again in the Jewish world. And yeah, come on, all the 80s children in here. Should have worn a Duran Duran shirt or something today when I preached. But there's something specific that God is releasing into this next decade and there's a meaning behind the symbolisms and the word pictures of the year 5780. Five is the word picture for a door, meaning there's an opening, there's something available for you. Seven is the word picture of a sword coming from the hilt to the tip down to heaven, representing the authority of God in the earth. And the 80, there is not a number for zero. Very interesting. Uh, the numbers, or the letters go one, two, three, four, five, six. They go up through eight, nine, and then it turns into uh, ten, by tens. There isn't necessarily a zero number. Interesting. I don't know why uh, specifically, but every time you go into a new decade, you don't go eight and then there's a meaning for zero. It's an entire number, 80. And the number 80 is the word in Hebrew, pay, which means the mouth. And what the Lord has spoken to me in this year and to a number of people around the world is that this is a year where there's an open door for supernatural authority in your mouth. 
It's not just a year, it's a decade. And what the Lord spoke to me so strongly was this is a season of supernatural miracle harvest that if you could connect into his voice, see what he sees, say what he says, he will do it. And inside of this calendar year, we will specifically see an increase of hearing his voice, saying what he says, planting the seed and reaping the harvest. This is a year of miracle harvest where you will both release the word and see it fulfilled in the same year. It's a powerful thing what God is doing. Powerful thing. The key verse for this series is Isaiah 55, verse 10. It says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. We talked about how all of the systems of the waterways of the earth God is in control of. No one can stop the rain except God. No one controls where the waterways go. Scripture says that God turns the waterways on the earth like he turns a leader's heart or a king's heart. God has control over where the waters run in the earth and the entire system of hydraulics inside of the earth. It belongs to God. And he says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. That's that word pay. My mouth, God says, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I I send it. Most of you know that I'm an avid journaler. I was in my late 20s when I started journaling because I thought that journals or diaries were for girls. And someone, a mentor at the time, mentioned to me, hey, I really want you to start journaling. And I said, you, you mean like a dear diary? You mean like a chick? He said, no, no. He said, disciples are documenters. And if you're a disciple of Christ, you need to document your journey. Because if it wasn't for documenters, we wouldn't have a Bible. If it wasn't for disciples that documented, there would be no book of Isaiah that you can read today. If it wasn't for disciples that were documented, documenters, you wouldn't have a book of Revelation. You would not have a Bible if it wasn't for disciples that were documenters. And so I began at about 28 years of age, uh, to write down and to create a written record of my prayer life with God and to be audacious enough to ask God to speak to me. But the journey really started about a decade earlier for me. The journey of my adult journey with God started right after I got arrested when I was 16. Got to spend uh, an evening in the pokey waiting for my dad to come pick me up. Two o'clock in the morning, he came. It was one of the lowest points of my life. But what really got me was when my dad walked in and he saw me, I was thrown up in a trash can. He looked me in the eyes. I expected him to shame me. I expected him to blame me. I expected him to say something hurtful because that's what I deserved. But he looked me in the eyes. He said, I failed you as a father. And he walked out. And inside my heart broke because it wasn't his fault. My parents had no idea what had happened to me. They had no idea that I had been molested at five or six, hidden that memory in my psyche. When another young man across the street tried to mess with me in my 11 and 12 year old age, that rage came out of me. And that sweet little boy that they knew and loved turned into a hateful, 
filled, violent individual trying to prove his masculinity. My parents had no idea. I didn't tell them about that till I was in my late 20s because I didn't want them to feel it. I didn't want them to take responsibility or blame for it. But God had turned it into such an important part of my ministry where I was seeing hundreds of people set free from the shame and guilt of things that had victimized them in their past and weren't their fault. And I didn't want my parents to hear about it listening to a CD. (laughs) So I finally had to tell them. But it was in that moment when I got arrested that I came face to face with the reality that I was allowing this thing haunting me from my past to steer my future. And so at 16, I looked across the breakfast table and I saw my dad in a new way that next morning. I I saw him the same way he did every morning. He had his cup of coffee. He had his Bible open. He was reading the word. I'd seen him that way almost every single morning in my life. And I looked across the table and for the first time in a long time, I said, oh my God, I want to be just like him. I want to be a man of God just like him. And I began to pray crazy prayers and I began to seek after the face of God. As I turned 17 years of age, I began to seek after God like never before. I wanted to know God's voice, but I had all these different Bibles and I couldn't understand them because they were in this weird poetic language from the 1500s or whatever. And so I went through all these different Bibles and I finally found one that I could understand. It was the Bible that was given to me in 1974 when I was just one years old. It was a children's Bible. It had pictures in it. But I was so hungry for God. I carried that little picture Bible. Come on, some of you have the same Bible. It's the one where, where Jesus uh, was on the front of it. It had literally a picture on the front of it. And it's like a shepherd and there's sheep and there's little children. Some of you remember this Bible. I carried it to church as an adult children's Bible with pictures because I didn't care what anyone thought I wanted to know him and I began to pray crazy prayers I began to ask God to talk to me and he answered me and so this conversational relationship that I developed over these last really over the last 17 part I'm part I'm sorry about 30 years of pursuing God since I was 16 17, 30 years of pursuing him as a young adult has culminated into a relationship now where I ask God to speak to me and he does and I have conversations with him, but it didn't start that way. And what I want to do on the next couple of Sundays is take you on a journey of how the Lord taught me to hear his voice, how the Lord taught me to recognize his voice, how the Lord taught me how to, or how to be a prophetic voice in the earth. Did you know that every single prophet, and I want to encourage you, if you want to be a person that hears the voice of God and declares the voice of God and sees things come into action in the earth, I want to encourage you to read the books of the prophets. Read the books of the prophets. Read Samuel, read Daniel, read Ezekiel, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Malachi, read the books of the prophets, every single one of them, God trained them personally how to hear his voice and how to respond to it. It's an unbelievable journey you can go on. 
So I'm going to read you another little portion of my journal of what the Lord said to me this week about this year and even this decade. But this is a culmination of 30 years of practice, trial and error, writing things down that I thought was God. And then when I checked it against the word, what the Bible actually says, it didn't add up and I'd erase it, scratch it out. This can't be God. It contradicts what he's actually already said. See, your Bible is massively important. It's, it's the proof, you know, eyewitnesses of what God has said and the types of things he would say. But your Bible is not the end of what God has said or what he would say. God wants to have a relationship with you that's way bigger than a book. He wants to have a conversational relationship with you that's way more intimate than reading letters written to someone else 2,000 years ago or more. God wants to write letters in your heart. This series is going to change somebody's life forever. Because you're never going to be back in a position again wishing you could hear God looking at other people. God is going to teach you to hear his voice and know you've heard him. This is what he said to me. This is, this is my birthday word. This is what the Lord spoke to me. And I just want to encourage you guys, every single part of this message that you're going to hear today, every part of it has been written in the middle of the night. Completely out of the ordinary for me, how I like to prepare a message. God has woken me up in the middle of the night. I mean, just, it, just speaking to me and I have to get up and write and get up and document and whatever. All of this that I'll share with you today came in the middle of the night when I responded to the Holy Spirit. It's what he said about this year, 5780, the year of his authority in your mouth. He said, my mouth is about intimacy. The most intimate part of my face. No one has seen the face of God and lived. Elijah saw my backside. He never saw my face. You will never know my eyes, but you can gain my perspective and see what I see. You can never see my mouth, but you can learn my voice and say what I say. Remember, see what I see and say it, and I will do it. I want my people to know my mouth. I want them to know the sweetness of my breath. I want them to feel the wind that proceeds from my mouth and follow it. Let it blow them to and fro. Intimacy is my greatest desire. I want to show my people my mouth. My word is very near you. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. Make your mouth like my mouth. Say what I say and see it come to pass. The mouth represents intimacy. Do you remember your first kiss? I do. It was by my sixth grade locker. Cassie Brown. I hope you're watching, Cassie. Oh my God, my heart was like this. It was like, that was it. Just heart. And I'm running to class. Oh, I kissed a girl and I liked it. I'm singing Perry, Katy Perry. (laughs) 
The mouth is what you use to kiss. Unless you're an Eskimo. Or a butterfly, I guess. There's little butterfly kisses you can do with your eyelashes. But, but we, we kiss our children. I don't know. I, I kiss my kids on the mouth. But I kiss them very differently than I kiss my wife. It's a good thing. I hope you kiss your spouse differently than you kiss your children. It's about intimacy. God wants to have intimacy with you. He, he, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know his breath. He, he wants you to know the sound of his voice. He wants you to recognize him. He desires to have intimacy with you. And, and it's not about a formula. It's not about a religious exercise. See, I mean, I don't know how you grew up, but with the little rhymes, read the Bible and pray every day and that'll make the devil go away. It's not, I mean, it's not a recipe. It's about being with him. You don't have to be a journaler. That's my thing. It's changed my life. I'll never stop doing it. Because it gives me confidence to walk into any room and know what he said in that room. Because I've documented it. I keep record of it. This transitional time that my family walked through over these last few years, I've documented all of it. I, I could go back and look at an entire year of what God said to me throughout the entire year and watch and see that I'm still on track and I'm still obeying what he said to me. It's about intimacy. It's about following his voice. The story that I want to read to you today is the story that the Lord used to wake me up on the inside and teach me to hear his voice. This is the story of Samuel. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel was a miracle baby. He was born to a, a, a woman who was desperate to have a child and couldn't. She had a rival wife. Uh, it was a, it were two wives, one husband, would not recommend that. Um, constant conflict. One wife was fruitful, the other wife couldn't. Hannah was, was Samuel's mom and couldn't have children. And the other wife would provoke her, provoke her. She was so desperate for children that she was in the temple at night praying so passionately that the priest Eli thought she was drunk. Come on, you know you're praying for real if you can be mistaken as being drunk. He said, put away your wine, woman, and stop sinning. She says, oh, no, it's not that. I'm praying to the Lord. I'm crying out for God to speak and to give me a child. And if he'll give me a child, I'll give him back to him. It's one of the reasons we dedicate children here. It's the symbol that they really belong to God. So he says, you know, as you have prayed, so she'll be. And the next year she became pregnant or she became pregnant right away. And the next year she had a baby and she vowed to give him to God. And when he was three or so, when he was weaned, she brought him to the temple and she literally gave her baby back to this priest, Eli, to be trained to be a priest in the house of the Lord. Samuel three, verse one says, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was rare. Listen to this. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass that at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, 
And when his eyes had begun to grow dim, pay attention to that too, that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down. So there's a lot here that you would just read past if you don't understand some of the other scriptures. But I want you to, to, to get a pic. This is, this is the picture of the tabernacle. There's an outer court. There's an inner court. And then there's the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the table of showbread was, the candles that would light uh, and, and illuminate the, the seven lampstands. It's where the offering would be brought in by the high priest once a year. And the scripture reports that little baby Samuel, now you under, have to understand that no one is allowed to go into that place. No one is allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies near the ark. This passage, if you go and read it for yourself, Samuel, this young, innocent boy, three, four, five, we don't know how old, but he literally grew up sleeping in the room with the ark. But we have a problem in this passage. It says that visions and hearing the voice of God was very rare. In his own house, with his own priest, in the tabernacle, the word of the Lord was rare and there was no widespread revelation. Eli, the priest's eyes were going dim. It's another picture of what's going on spiritually inside of the atmosphere. And then it says something that you would read past and never even know unless you knew scriptures, unless you knew what was commanded to the priests and how they were supposed to conduct business inside of the tabernacle. It says that it was before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle. And therein lies the problem. Because Leviticus 6 verse 8 gives instructions on burnt offerings and gives instructions about the fire of the Lord. Verse 8 says, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning. And the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. In the morning after the priest, uh, the priest after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and linen undergarments, he must clean out the ashes of the burnt offering and put them beside the altar. Then he must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. Three times in one passage, God said, never let this fire Go out. It represents my presence with my people. God is an all-consuming fire. When the Holy Spirit came and rested on the disciples, they were seen as having tongues of fire on their head. You are the priesthood of God now. 
2 Timothy 1 verse 6 says this, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. There's a word inside of this passage. Stir up the gift of God. Other translations say, fan into flame the gift of God. The word there is a combination of three words. It's the word anazopereo. Ana means up, zo means living, pereo is fire. Agitate or provoke or blow on or kindle or stir up the living fire that's inside of you because of the laying on of my hands. Come on, can I tell you somebody that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You are the holy of holies and the fire is your responsibility. You are the priest inside of your tabernacle and the fire is your responsibility. You have got to keep your fire burning. The priest was supposed to every single day put new wood on that fire. And if you wanna be powerful in God's kingdom, if you wanna have a voice that echoes in eternity, if you wanna have a mouth that the authority of God shoots through, you gotta keep the wood on that fire. That's why I journal. That's why I'm in my Bible. I, I, I use my Bible app every single day. I can flip to it. I can look at it. Today I'm on a streak. 28 days in a row. I've had 31 completed full seven-day weeks this year. 268 days so far this year. In my Bible, I'm not bragging. I'm saying, I gotta keep my fire burning, guys. I gotta stay in there. I'm not in my Bible to check a box. Has nothing to do with how much God likes me or if I'm going to heaven or if I'm going to make it. I want to burn for him. I want his fire alive inside of me. I drive Sydney to school every single morning. We put on a podcast. I listen to somebody else preaching because I want that fire burning. Great worship music out there. Listen to worship music, driving in my car. Why? I want that fire burning. Praying in my personal prayer language constantly. Why? Because I want that fire burning. I can't let the fire go out. Guys, it's the, it's, it's the only thing that separates us from anybody else is the fire burning inside of your heart. If we lose that, then it's just dead religion. It's just dead religion. Just another set of rules. If we don't keep the fire burning, if we don't keep the fresh, intimate relationship with him, then we might as well be any other religion. Because we've missed the whole point. Here's the good news. God is pursuing you. Jesus is the groom. The bride prepares herself for the groom. But the groom pursues the bride. Single ladies, it is not fit for the bride to pursue the groom. The groom pursues his bride. 
Now, we, the, the bride prepares herself, makes herself attractive to the groom. But if you're chasing a man down to get him, you're going to have to chase him to keep him. It's the groom's job to pursue. I chase my wife all over the place. <laughs> Always pursuing her. I'll never stop. First Samuel 3, 3 says this. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here am I. So Samuel, as a child, heard a voice. He says, here am I. So he ran to Eli, where Eli was sleeping in his, his room. Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I didn't call you. Go lie down again. And he went and laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I didn't call you, my son. Go lie down. Puts in a footnote here inside of scripture. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. <laughs> He's sleeping in the Holy of Holies. He doesn't know the Lord yet. Oh my goodness, there's something so rich in that. Many of you, the only reason you're here today is because God was speaking to you before you knew him. He was drawing you before you knew him. Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you did call me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. God's voice is so familiar to you. It was so familiar to, El to, to Samuel that he mistook it for Eli. The voice of authority in his life and the voice of God sounded very similar. It wasn't a strange voice. It didn't make Samuel afraid. It made him feel comforted. Eli wants me, but it wasn't Eli. God will speak to you in a familiar way that you can hear and easily receive. It's not hard. It's familiar. It's natural. God's voice sounds like a loving nurturer, a parent, a daddy. If you're hearing guilt, shame, condemnation, it's not him. If that's the voice in your head, that's not him. His voice is the voice of peace, comfort, joy, encouragement, edification. His voice will build you up, establish your future. Story goes on, 1 Samuel 3.10. Now the Lord came and stood and called as other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears, uh, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. 
And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And Samuel begins to hear the voice of God literally saying a word of horrific judgment against Eli, the one he had just mistaken three times for the voice of God. And now as a young boy, he's hearing a word because Eli had been a lazy priest. He'd let the fire go out. He wasn't keeping, uh, intending to his duties. He allowed his sons to run wild. They were doing all types of horrific things inside of the congregation. And so God spoke a word of judgment against them that they would all die on the same day and every single male inside of Eli's family would be snuffed out of existence and he would erase them from history. Verse 15 says, so Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Herein lies the dilemma. Oftentimes we've heard from God, but we're too afraid to say what he says. I remember in, in my journey of learning how to, to, to be a voice for God, that I would hear God telling me to go say to someone something and instantly I would be afraid. And instantly I would say, no, 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 that's just me. I'm just making that up. Father, if that's you, let a snowflake fall right now. <laughs> Looking for one, it's July, but let a snow, I'll just know if, if a snowflake falls, it's you, July in Texas. And the Lord began to chastise me. Are you my sheep or not? then you do hear my voice. And you go tell them what I said. And I would walk over. And this is my opening line. Hey, this might sound crazy, but that was my disclaimer. If it's crazy, just throw it away. But I really feel like God wants to say something to you. Are you okay if I tell you? You'd be shocked. Like 90.9.999.999% of people will say, yeah, because they're calling fortune tellers, y'all. They're, they're calling the, who was that J Jamaican lady on the hotline? Miss Cleo, Miss Cleo or whatever. Can I tell you what I feel like God is saying? Yes, please. Everyone wants to hear his voice, guys. Everyone wants to hear his voice. And it's familiar. And it's close. I remember a time I was, I don't know, about 26 or seven, I was driving my little red Honda Civic and I felt so far away from God. So far away. I'm like, God, where are you? I feel so far away. I was just driving and praying and crying in my car. I hope you turn your car into a sanctuary. Some of the best times I ever have with God are in my car. And I remember praying and praying and finally kind of breaking through and feeling, I began to feel the presence of God in my car. And this is what God said to me. He said, Joel, how can you ever be far away from me? For I've, I've written my word in your heart. My word is very near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 8, I believe. My word is very near you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. And this is what he said. I'll never forget it. Changed my life forever. He said, Joel, all you have to do is stir up the fire in your heart until it comes out of your mouth. 
stir up that fire in your heart and declare it out of your mouth. Give me an atmosphere to inhabit. I inhabit the praises of my people. If you will, out of your own heart, declare my word through your mouth, I will inhabit that atmosphere. My word is never near you, never, never far from you. It's always very near you in your own heart, in your own mouth. And that was the day that I learned that I could hear God any day I was willing to create an atmosphere. At this point, like I said, 30 years in this journey, if I need to hear God, all I have to do is go take the time to journal. He'll speak to me every time. This week, he's woken me up all week. I wrote, I, I finished my message. Guys, I was, so, I was so wiped out this week. We're getting ready to move and we're finishing a house build and moving out and whatever. And I was so wiped out this week. I, I was in bed yesterday at seven, last night at 7.30. And my message was raw notes, unfinished. I set an alarm for 4 a.m. God woke me up at midnight. I wrote my message from midnight to 1.30, finished this message, went back to bed. Every single night this week, the Lord is, why, why, why? Because he's taken me back to where it started. A 17-year-old young man, so desperate for God, I started praying this prayer that Samuel prayed. God, I just got to hear you. I just got to know you. Wake me up in the middle of the night. Wake me up, Father. Speak to me. I have to hear your voice. And at 17, God began to take me on this journey. And I would hear him. It just a voice inside me. Get up. I want to talk to you. Get up. And if you know, you know anything about me, man, I am a sleeper. Deep. Like if Jen tries to wake me up, she might get punched. I sleep deep. I'll come out swinging. What? Come out swinging. For me to wake up on a regular basis... At three in the morning, something's up because I sleep all night. Very blessed that way. I don't wake up. And so when God began to wake me up, <laughs> I'm praying the prayer, God, wake me up. I want to hear your voice. I want to speak to me, Lord. I, I want to hear you. Speak to me, Lord. I'm listening. And then he started waking me up. And I say, how about you give me three more hours? Oh, right now, right now, right now, right now. Come on, guys, it's time for some of us to get so desperate for God that we'll put aside other things because I'd rather hear his voice than sleep. I'd rather hear his voice than eat. I'd rather hear his voice than anything else. It's the greatest addiction I have in my life. But the secret to this, if you're gonna become a powerful mouthpiece for God is that you have to have the guts to say it. I'll finish with this little verse. For Samuel 3.16, this is how the story ends. Then, Elijah, then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. This is the next morning. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God, do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things he said to you. Now, remember the context of the word was I'm going to kill Eli's whole family, every male 
Both of his sons are gonna die on the same day and every grandchild will die as well. That's the word little Samuel has to give to Eli. And Eli says, if you don't tell me all of it, the curse will rest on you. The curse will fall on you if you don't say it. Guys, this is big. You are required to release God's word in the earth. You are a prophetic generation, a prophetic generation. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people and the sons and the daughters will prophesy. You are a prophetic generation and you have a requirement, a responsibility to release the word. So Samuel released the word. Says Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do whatever seems good to him. Watch, so Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. God wants to move you into a place where his voice inside of your mouth is so powerful that not a single word falls to the ground. When you declare his word, it puts it into action, puts it into motion, like water falls down from heaven and goes where it goes and no one can stop it. So shall his word be proceeding out of your mouth if you'll learn how to follow this path of seeing what he sees because you've been in the spirit realm, saying what he says and giving him something to do with it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the word that you're releasing into the hearts and minds of your people. God, I ask you that you would speak to your children. Let them hear your voice. Father, as we proceed on this little journey for the next few weeks, let them hear your voice like never before. Open up communication. Help them to realize that voice they've been hearing that they thought was their own, giving them guidance, giving them wisdom, giving them inspiration. Father, help them to recognize your voice they've heard all along. It's very near them. It's in their heart, in their mouth. They can create atmosphere with their own words. Father, I thank you that you will speak to them. You will declare your word to them and they will have the courage to speak it out and to declare it in Jesus' name. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.